Thank you, Jeremy. It is indeed good to be with you this morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Oh, you, you look like you're so full of energy this morning. I'm going to be so glad when summer is over. I just got to be honest with you. I'm going to be glad when summer is over and everybody's back to their normal routine and uh, everybody's back to their full selves and we're back to our full selves in attendance. It's good to see some of you I haven't seen for a couple of weeks and it's good to be together in the gathering, isn't it? Let's go ahead and stand together and... We are in Ephesians chapter 1, where we have been for the last several weeks. Many of you are memorizing, as we've been encouraging you, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We're memorizing that together as a church. And what an important passage for us in our understanding of who we are, our understanding of really all things uh, in this world, the point of all things, the purpose of all things, where everything is headed. Ephesians 1, 3-14 is such an important passage for us to know, to memorize, to speak to one another. And I have been encouraged, I have been so encouraged to hear the people memorizing. Uh, we, were, uh, we were playing basketball Friday morning at uh, a gym here in the valley, myself and Michael Kim and some other people. And Michael Kim, in front of a bunch of men, quoted Ephesians 1 all the way actually down through about verse 19 or so, 19 or 20. And it was great. All the guys were like, wow. Memorizing scripture. This is what we ought to be doing. Memorizing scripture and speaking to one another. It was such an encouragement. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is what we'll read. And then we'll be focusing on verse 11 and 12 for our sermon this morning. Listen as I read. And feel free as I'm reading to quote it, if you can, from memory. Ephesians 1, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we come to you this morning. We've, we've prayed 
for your blessing upon this word this morning. I, I just want to add to that prayer. I want to pray for each one of us this morning that are here under your word, that we would truly be under your word, that we would submit our thinking, that we would submit our lives, that we would submit our wills, that we would submit our desires, that we would submit our dreams, we would submit everything to your word and what you have said is true and real. I pray that you would convict us of where we have our minds set on earthly things, not on true things, on eternal things. And I pray through this word uh, this morning, through your word this morning, that we would learn better how to live this life facing its uncertainty and even the uncertainty of death with great certainty, great surety, great confidence. Make us into the people that you desire us to be, that you would create in us a heart that would seek your will, that would seek to obey you, to love you, to cherish you in this life as we look to our inheritance and to your glory. We pray all of this in your name for your sake. Amen. Our message this morning is found in verse 11 and 12 of that wonderful passage we just read. Ephesians 1, 11. I'm going to read it for you again. In him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The main idea of this small section, remember this is all just one sentence and we've divided it up into little sections, this one sentence. The main idea of this one little section is this, according to his sovereign will, the father has destined his children for an inheritance. According to his sovereign will, the father has destined his children for an inheritance. I want you to see the truth of that this morning. I want you to revel in it. I want you to be impacted by it. I want you to go from here this morning being reminded of all that is yours in Christ. I want you to go from this place being reminded of the disposition of the Father towards you. The disposition of the Father towards you as his child. And I I want you to go from this place being reminded once again of what is the point, what is the goal 
What is the aim of all things? Not least of which is your life. What is the point of all things? Including your life. Your existence. The Father in his sovereign will has destined his children for an inheritance. What, what is this inheritance? That is what the verse simply says. In him we have obtained an inheritance. If you're like me, when you read that verse in your devotions, you read that verse and you go, oh, that's really good. But you don't take time to think about the nature of that inheritance. You don't take time to really meditate on, what, what is this really saying? What is this inheritance? What is the substance? What is the nature of this inheritance? And probably more often than not, when we read that, we quickly go to what we understand as inheritance. What, what do we understand as an inheritance? What is an inheritance? If I were to ask you, children, what is an inheritance? Most of you would be able to give me an idea of what an inheritance is. An inheritance is what we get from our parents or from our father when he dies. That's what we get, right? Or, or maybe we think of uh, a rich uncle when he dies. I hope that I have a rich uncle that I don't know about who has an inheritance for me. But that's usually what we think of, is an inheritance. A, a, a father or mother, when they die, they pass on to their children an inheritance. And most of us, quite frankly, don't have much to look forward to in that inheritance. This is what we think of. In him we have an inheritance. That's nice. That's a nice thought. But, but really, to understand what is meant here with the fact that we have obtained an inheritance, what we need, as so often is true in the New Testament, what we need is an Old Testament context. An Old Testament context to understand our New Testament. Did you know this? This is why we need to understand the Old Testament. Because you can't truly, truly understand and appreciate what Paul is saying here until you understand the Old Testament context of inheritance. In the Old Testament, we see, we learn, that God has promised an inheritance to a man named Abraham. He has promised an inheritance to him. He has promised to give Abraham a name... He has promised to give Abraham a place, a land, a physical, material land. And he has promised to bless Abraham's family. And through the blessing to his family, to bless all the families of the earth. This was the inheritance that he promised to Abraham. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a country. I'm going to give you a nation. And I'm going to give that nation a place to live that is going to be theirs from me, God says. It's going to be their land, their inheritance. And in that place, he's going to bless them. And through his blessing of them, he's going to bless all the nations of the earth. This is the expectation that the Israelites had. This is the expectation that the Jewish mind has. In fact, he uses this expectation, Paul does, as the backdrop of what he's saying here in Ephesians 1. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Well, if you know the Old Testament story, what happened to Abraham and his family? Abraham and his family, they grew, 
They grew in, in numbers so great that it intimidated Egypt. Remember that? They went down into Egypt and they grew to be a number so great that the Egyptian pharaoh, he was a little nervous about this people that had grown to be so great. And so Pharaoh sought to diminish them, to reduce their number, to limit their number, but it would not work. God blessed them and they multiplied exceedingly. And then God came, do you remember the story? God came and delivered them. See, I I, I feel like I'm teaching Sunday school here, but truthfully, I, I, I think that sometimes we wrongly assume that everybody in the room understands these things. Because this is the story of the Old Testament, right? God comes and miraculously, through great power and might and great signs and wonders, he delivers his people, the people of Abraham, the people of Israel, he delivers them from Egypt. And this is called their redemption. He redeems them. He buys them. He purchases them. He saves them from Egypt. And what for? He saves them from Egypt to bring them to the land. The land that he has promised their father Abraham. The land where he will bless them the land where they will grow and multiply and experience the blessings of God for them that he had promised their father Abraham. And there in that land, they are to enjoy his blessings and the greatest blessing is they are to enjoy the presence of God in their midst. He is to be their God and they will be his people. Truly, he gives them an inheritance of the land because, this is important, they are his inheritance. They are his heritage. This is what Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses, tells us. They, the people of Israel, are his possession. So he gives an inheritance to those who are his inheritance, who are his people. And how does that story unfold in the Old Testament? They go into that land eventually. They are stubborn. They are slow to believe. They are not those who are are people of faith. They wander in the wilderness for almost 40 years. And then finally they go into the land. The land that God had promised them. The land that he had said was going to be their inheritance. Where he was going to dwell in their midst. They finally go into the land. But... It is not as it should be. They fail to drive out the inhabitants of the land. They fail to take possession of the land the way God intended them to. Because of their lack of faith, they fail to realize, fully realize, the inheritance that God had planned for them. In fact, so much so, the kings come and they are wicked and they do not lead the children of Israel into righteousness. And, and this causes eventually them to what? Lose that land, that inheritance that God had promised them. They are driven out. They are exiled into captivity. Not to realize the land, the inheritance that God had promised them. So what is the substance of this inheritance? I want you to take that backdrop that we just quickly went over. And I want you to take that 
that remembrance, that, that understanding of the Old Testament story. And I want you to take that with you now here to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, Now, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. This is not to be divided from the inheritance God originally promised his people Israel. This is not to be seen as something else that God is doing over here. God has an inheritance for his people Israel, but, but then there's this other inheritance he has for the church. No, no, no. God intends to give his people an inheritance. An inheritance where his people will live and experience the blessings of salvation. Where they will live with God in their midst. They will be his people and he will be their God. And so look at what he says again with this in our, in our, in our minds at the, as a backdrop. He says, in Christ, we who are in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. I want you to hear this this morning. This inheritance, I want you to hear this. This inheritance that he has given us is a real inheritance. Sometimes we think of spiritual things as being up here and material things as being down here. And, you know, that's nice. Those spiritual ideas are nice. And we should really, we should really embrace those. But, you know, this is where we live. The material world is where we live. Sometimes people have this divide in their minds where, where they, they, they fail to realize the realness the reality of these spiritual truths. God has in Christ given us an inheritance. And it is a real, material inheritance. Did you hear that? He has given us an inheritance... And it is a real, material inheritance. It is the time. He's referring to the time. This inheritance is the time where God will restore all things. And he will bring us, his people, into a land where he will dwell with us. And we will dwell with him. It is going to be a full realization of our redemption. I want you to turn with me to Romans 8, real quick. Look at this, Romans 8. A full realization of our redemption. This is the inheritance that he's speaking of. Go to Romans 8, verse 20. Start at verse 20. Okay, Romans 8, verse 20. Please turn there. I mean, you can listen to me say it. And take my word for it. But I'd rather you put your eyes on it. Romans 8 verse 20. For the creation. Now what, that's, what is that talking about? The creation. What is that talking about? Real material world. Okay? For the creation. Real material world. The creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly. But because of him who subjected it. In hope. That the creation itself, the creation itself, 
will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Now, what is that talking about? It's talking about the redemption of creation. Remember, redemption is to set free. Okay, so it's saying, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's this groaning that's going on in creation. Things are not right. We, we, we know there is something greater than this. Give in to that intuition, by the way. There is something greater than this. That is true. And it's not ethereal up in, up in some place in outer space with clouds where we all float around as disembodied spirits. It is real. Okay, so, so look at this. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So do you see what he's saying there at the end? It's not something that we can see right now, but we hope for it. We hope for what we cannot see, but we know is real. We cannot see it now, but we know it's true. We know it's real. The inheritance that we have obtained is real, material. It is living with God in his presence in a new heavens and a new earth. Real earth, real skies we live in and we have existence eternally with God as it should be. This is what we groan for. Isn't this, is this not what we groan for? As we live this life and with its pains and its diseases and its disappointments and its despairs and all the things that we live this life with and, 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 and we're, like, we're, we're always wanting something to be better than this. Well, let me encourage you. You can't look within this creation for what's better. It doesn't exist. You've got to look outside of this creation for what's better. But it is just as real as this creation. It is just as real. And it is a realization of our redemption. Free from the penalty of sin. We have experienced that aspect of redemption. Free from the penalty of sin. We no longer have to worry. We've been forgiven for our trespasses. We are free in that redemption from the penalty of sin. We are free from the power of sin. We have not yet experienced that. We are free from its power. We can live apart from the power of sin. We can live as victorious over sin, but we still feel the effects of sin. And we will one day totally be free from the presence of sin and all of its effects. Our inheritance is real. It's a full realization of our redemption. As Israel was to live, as Israel was to live in that land, and they were promised that they would be free from their enemies, 
we one day will live free from the greatest enemy to our soul. We will be free. No more enemies. No more sin. No more death. We will live in that reality. It is where we will enjoy God's eternal blessings. The blessings that he has intended for his people. The blessings that he has intended for those who are his inheritance. We will enjoy those blessings eternally. This place, this inheritance that we have obtained. This real, material inheritance. Where we are free from our enemies, enjoying the eternal blessings of God. This place will be. This is important. This place will be our home we will finally be home. You can imagine the people of Israel, those who were believing, longing for that land, longing for that place where they would realize God's promises for them. The ache, the sadness, the lament that took place in their lives as they longed for that place, as they looked forward to that place where they would be with God as he promised. We share in that. First Peter calls us exiles. And indeed we are. Do you, do you feel like an exile this morning? Do you see yourself as an exile You are. You're not home. This is not your home. My, my mom, we have a joke in my family that my mom only knows how to play one song. And she plays every song to that song. It's not true. She could play more songs on the piano. But it seems like every time we turn around, that, that's, that's the only song we ever remember hearing was Mansion Over the Hilltop. You remember Mansion Over the Hilltop? Did anybody ever remember that song? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we will never more wander. But walk on streets that are pure as gold. Anybody know that song? It's a corny song. (laughs) Not my favorite song. But truly Jesus said in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And and when we hear that I go to prepare a place for you. the, The going is the preparing. Okay. He, he's not up, up in heaven with his construction hat on building a place. Or, or the crews, they're not, they're not just finishing off the places. No, he has a place for us. His going is the preparation. Where he has gone, we will follow him into the presence of his father. And that's where we will be in God's presence. Home with him. We will dwell with our Father and He will dwell with us. You know, I, as I was meditating and thinking about this passage, I was thinking about you, the people sitting here before me this morning. I want to be careful with this, but I, not, none of you get the perspective that I get. None of you get the perspective I get. See, I, I get to know each and every one of you in some way, in some level. And you would be amazed how, 
how much discord is present in our body here this morning with people and their extended families. And I, I've had so many conversations, and, and some of you are thinking, oh, I, th- I think he's talking about me. No, probably not, be- because I've had so many conversations. It's, it's actually more common to talk with those of you who have serious discord with your extended family, um, and, and even w- with your immediate family, than it is to have peace there. I think of the, the pain that is created when our family is not in harmony. The, the pain and the hurt that is caused when things are not as we would like them to be with our moms and our dads or with our brothers and sisters or with our children. The pain that is created when our earthly families don't work the way that they're supposed to work. This truth this morning is important for us to hear as we experience that pain of family relationships. Our families, our earthly families, this is important for us to hear even though it's hard for us to hear. Our earthly families, our earthly marriages, our our earthly parents and children, these relationships are not ultimate. These relationships are not ultimate. They are not where we are to find our satisfaction and our meaning. Our home is with God as our Father. Our home is in His presence with His people. We moved from a place up north in northern Spokane, a place that we loved, a home that we loved, a neighborhood we loved, and we moved to the valley. The valley is an interesting place. And our home, our physical home, has had nothing but problems ever since we moved in. It's been wonderful. And we're thankful for it. But it it was such an encouragement to me as I reflect upon this. My hope is not in some earthly home that I'm trying to build or some earthly heritage that I'm trying to build. My inheritance is not here. I said earlier, you know, most of us don't have much to get from our earthly parents when they pass away. That's not our inheritance. Our inheritance is given to us by our heavenly father. And it is ours. And our inheritance is not here. Our legacy, hear this people, our legacy is not here. Our heritage is not to be found here. What if, what if we were able to build a great family with a great name and great property and great legacy and we were able to pass it down from generation to generation to generation? What if that's what we were able to accomplish? What would we accomplish? Nothing. Because ultimately, our inheritance is in the new heavens and new earth. This is why Jesus says, don't lay up treasures here where moth and rust corrupt. 
And that extends even to our family relationships where we're, where we're putting everything into these family relationships. No, no, no. He says, don't put all your treasure there. Put it in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you need, they'll be added to you here our inheritance is not here. Our heritage, our legacy, people, is not here. The Father has intended to give us, He has destined us for an inheritance. And this inheritance is a real inheritance. He has made us His own, and He gives us a real inheritance. We belong to Him, and He gives us a real inheritance. What is this inheritance? It is nothing less than the kingdom itself. The kingdom of God, where we will dwell in his presence forever. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. And that is our inheritance. A full realization of our redemption. And this inheritance, I want you to hear, this inheritance is real. Second of all, it's a real inheritance. Second of all, it is a certain inheritance our inheritance is our certain destiny look at what he says turn to ephesians there turn back to ephesians ephesians chapter 1 in him we have obtained an inheritance and what is this what is the security or the certainty of this inheritance look at what he says having been predestined having been predestined Here's what that simply means. God has given us, the Father has given us a destiny. What is your destiny this morning? I'm asking you to ask yourself that question right now. What is your destiny this morning? Ephesians 1 tells us. What is our destiny? The Father has given it to us before the foundation of the world. That's what it says, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in his presence, in his eyes. We, we will be with him holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Our destiny this morning as a child of God, our destiny has been given to us. It has been assured from before the beginning of time. It's certain. But notice, and I think this is glorious, notice he doesn't stop there. He could stop there, it would be enough. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Refer back to earlier, right? He could, he could do that. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. See what I just said. But he, he, he doesn't stop there. He explains to us what this predestination, he, he unfolds this predestination for us. Look at it. 
In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to what? According to the purpose. What does purpose mean? Plan. Intent. We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the Father's plan. According to the Father's intent. We have been predestined according to the purpose, his plan. Of who? Of the Father. Him. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, the Apostle Paul tells us that we've been predestined according to the purpose of him. And then he gives us this description of the Father. Look at the description of the Father. We've been predestined according to the purpose, according to the plan of him who works all things. Works all things. Notice he doesn't say who works in all things or works through all things. Sometimes I think we have this view of God that's, that's separated just by a degree or so. That things happen and then God somehow reacts to them. Or somehow uses them for his purposes even though they're not what he intended. Do we slip into that view of God sometimes? That things happen outside of his control and then because he's powerful and wise, he can kind of come in and, and use those things, reconfigure those things to be what he wants them to be. No, that's not the, that's not the case. Our Father works all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. The counsel being the deliberation, the, the consultation, the wisdom. And who, who is his counsel? Who is his counsel? It's his own will that is his counsel. He, he doesn't rely or depend upon anybody outside of himself for what he's going to do. This is extremely important. God is not dependent on anything else or anyone else to decide what he is going to do. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. I want you to hear just a couple of verses that reiterate this. I'm going to turn first to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46. Listen to verse 9 and 10. If you can turn there, that would be great. Listen to verse 9 and 10 of Isaiah 46. For I am God, he says, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Do you, do you see that there about your God? He declares the end from the beginning. Nothing is up in the air. Nothing is still yet to be figured out. He has declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. He has declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times, times in eternity past, he has declared these things that have not yet come to pass. He has decided them. He has declared them. 
Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. What a powerful statement regarding who our God, who our Father is. He declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Listen to Job. Job 42, our friend in Job, who learns through much trial and much tribulation. I love it. He, he answers the Lord at the end of this entire interaction with the Lord. Job answered the Lord and said, verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of yours five. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He comes to realization of who his God is. He had heard about God, but now he has seen God. He says, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then Romans, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Listen to Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways Unsearchable his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? It's ridiculous even the thought. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Why is this important for us to consider? Why is the sovereignty of God in salvation important for us to embrace? Why is God's sovereignty important for us? Well, this this passage in Ephesians has been written with intent. The Apostle Paul wants us to see that our predestination was not, was not happenstance or, or just some chance. This has been the plan of God from eternity past. The God and Father who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And nothing can thwart His will. He doesn't depend on anyone or anything as his counselor. This is his plan and it will not be derailed. Why is this important? Why is this important for us to see? Because our inheritance is certain. It is secure. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be erased. It is ours In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
It is certain. The Lord wants us to cherish his sovereignty. He, he wants us to love his sovereignty. Sometimes I'm afraid that Christians are at war with God's sovereignty. There's nothing more offensive to our sovereignty than God's sovereignty. There, there, there's nothing more offensive to us in, in some ways than ha- having this idea that God is in control of everything and that I don't get to make my own decisions. Well, as we've said before, our decisions are real. Our choices are real. But God has preordained all things and all things work to the, the purpose, the counsel of his will. Nothing happens outside of his will. What comfort this is for us. I think of a son. And you all know this if you have children or if you are a child yourself, have had parents, we can all relate to this. I remember when I was 18, I wanted nothing more than to get out from underneath my father's house. I wanted to get out. I wanted to go and be my own person. I wanted to go and have freedom or what I thought was freedom to make my own choices. We can all relate to that. I think of a son or a daughter who wants to get out from underneath the rule and reign of their parents. It's real freedom if I can just get out from underneath their sovereign rule, right? And yet, how often is the case those who make their own choices cannot choose rightly, but choose foolishly. And this is the case for all of us. We choose foolishly. That is our nature. That is who we are. This reality of God's sovereignty should give us comfort. He doesn't leave us up to our own choices. He doesn't doesn't make us fend for ourselves. He has given us an inheritance according to his plan, according to the counsel of his own will. He has secured it for us, and even we ourselves cannot thwart his plan. It will happen. And this should be a comfort for us. In fact, I've said this before, all through Scripture, the truth of God's sovereignty is meant to be a comfort for us, for his people. Not a stumbling block. And if it is a stumbling block for you this morning, may I just suggest to you that, that more than likely what you need is some humility. There's a lower view of your ability to understand things. And a higher view of God and his sovereign will. Our inheritance is real. Our inheritance is certain. It is our certain destiny given to us by the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And, and truly, again, how could, how could we face, how could we face life in all of its uncertainty? Isn't it uncertain, life? How could we face life in all its uncertainty without a, without a cherishing and a trusting in the sovereignty of God? How could we face death and its uncertainty without a treasuring and a trusting in the sovereignty of God? If, if anything, if, if I want anything for you this morning, it is for you to come to a place of certainty about the inheritance that he has given you and the fact that it, it will be kept in heaven for you until the day he gives it to you. It is certain, and it cannot be thwarted. 
And then I want you to see the point, the aim. Our inheritance is real. Our inheritance is certain. It's our certain destiny. And this inheritance, although it greatly benefits us, our inheritance is not about us. It is to the praise of his glory. Look at it there. Ephesians 1. He says, In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, and not, who's that we talking about? That's talking about the Jewish people. Okay, we'll talk about that more next week. We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Why has he given us an inheritance? Yes, he's done it so that it will benefit us. Absolutely. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless his people. He wants a people to dwell in the midst of. But why? What is the aim? What is the purpose of this inheritance? It is to bring glory to him. It is to the praise of his glory. I want you to see this morning that your life is not your own. For this, I'm glad that my life's not about me. Have you come to the place where you can truly rejoice in the fact that your life is not about you? I mean, how, dis- how much despair would that create in your heart if you thought your life was all about you? If you thought that life was about you and that God, his whole existence, was wrapped around you and giving you everything that you think you ought to have, what, what a dim view of reality. What about all those other people in the world? That's what I always get, get, get a kick out of when we think of these movies and things that we watch where there's one person who gets everything they want and I always look at all the crowds of people around them lifting the bump on their shoulders and everything. I'm like, what about all those people? All those people get nothing. We're supposed to celebrate this one person getting everything they want. No, that's not the way it works. That's what the world will tell you. You ought to pursue greatness. Try to find your destiny. Try to pursue and chase your dreams. But ultimately, here it is. Our life is not about us. And for this, I'm glad. Our life is under the sovereign will of God. And it is all aimed at his glory. Our inheritance is real. Our inheritance is certain. And our inheritance is aimed at glorifying our Father. Praising his glory. I want you to turn to Colossians This purpose, this great purpose of God, what is his purpose? To glorify himself. His purpose is to the praise of his glory. And that glory is accomplished in and through his son. His son, the beloved son, stands at the center of God's purpose to glorify himself. The people that he has given to his son stand at the middle of what it means to glorify or bring glory to God. He has saved you for that purpose in his Son. Colossians 1, verse 15, talking of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created, get this, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I mean, I mean, seriously, how ridiculous is it that we would want to make life about us? Can, can I say that I was before all things? And that all things are held together by me? No. Christ is before all things. And in him all, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Do you see where you're located in that? The fact that he has saved you is not of small consequence. He has saved you to be under Christ as your head. Because it is in Christ that he is glorifying himself. As we saw a a couple weeks ago with Jeremy, in Christ, he has summed up all things, right? He has set forth Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to sum up all things, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the point. His glory in and through his son. And we have been made his people, in and through his son, to enjoy him. He goes on, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What is the point of our redemption? He has brought us to himself. He has adopted us. We are now children of God. And through that work, as, he, as any father would to their son, right? He's given an inheritance. A real inheritance. A certain inheritance. An inheritance that is aimed at bringing glory to him. Again, I want you to be reminded this morning of all that is yours. All that you have. I want you to be reminded this morning of the disposition of the Father towards you. He is a wise and good and gracious. But, if he was wise and good and gracious and not sovereign, it would mean nothing for us. He is wise and good and gracious and sovereign. According to the counsel of his will, he has given us an inheritance. And he wants us to see and be reminded this morning that all of it, our salvation and all the benefits that we get in Christ is meant and aimed to bring him glory. Here's the decision before you. Is your life about him this morning? Is your life about Christ? Is 